Hello, and welcome to the Boring Bible Podcast. I'm Noah Randolph. And I'm Ashley Wakefield. And we're here to take you on a journey through the boring parts of your Bible, books that you just couldn't finish when you tried to read them. Together, I hope we'll get to see some of the hidden beauty in these books, and maybe afterwards you'll love them too. But if not, that's okay. You will still get to tell your friends you got through them and have full bragging rights to your pastor. Just don't let it go to your head. So let's get started. Welcome back to another episode of the Boring Bible Podcast. I'm Noah Randolph, teaching pastor here at Wayfarers Christian Church, and I've got with me in the new space, Ashley Wakefield. Hi. Hey, Ashley. How you been doing this week? I've been doing pretty good. Um, you know, it was been pretty good at work. Like the other day, I had two ladies who like really made my day on the phone. I don't even know who they were because they were just strangers calling in. But one of them was like, you were so sweet. And she was like, I'm going to keep you in my prayers tonight. And I was like, oh, that's really nice. And then the other lady said the same thing. She was like, you're really sweet. And I hope that you don't quit. And it's just like, it's just really nice when you hear strangers say really nice things about you when they don't really they don't really know you, but they just see something nice about you. And so that's awesome. Yeah, it's really great. That's always good to hear. Um, yeah, my week has been pretty uh, good too. Uh, we got to, um, an f- old friend of mine came into town that, uh, uh, is living in Colorado currently and, oh, cool. uh, he comes in every year around this time to paint graffiti art for oh. an event that they, uh, do every year at around this time called paint Memphis. And they usually like find like an abandoned building or some like building that's like looking pretty run down and they get a bunch of graffiti artists to like basically paint all of the different uh walls and sides of it so it's really cool so is he like one of those people that like when you're driving by and you see like a building or a train that has it on there he's the one who does that uh maybe maybe there's a lot of uh there's a lot of i didn't realize this but in memphis in particular a lot of the graffiti art you see is actually done by professionals and usually yeah. is paid buy someone um to do it um this isn't i don't think this is a paid gig i think this is like just something that they do uh like kind of out of the kindness of their heart to um, show off their art and stuff but yeah it's really cool so uh he's in town for about two weeks and so uh i took him on a coffee shop crawl yesterday and we hit a bunch of coffee shops and then finished up the night playing pinball in a new place here in memphis where you can play pinball it's really fun because you drove up there to colorado once didn't you like you said it was like 10 hours or Mm -hmm. something yeah Yeah. i did drive up there i drove up there actually for his wedding um that was uh i was his best man in that wedding so yeah that was a that was an experience that uh, i would love to talk about but we are here to talk about the book of isaiah um we've been working through this book for now a year and uh, some change and we're nearing the end this is chapter 62 of the book of Isaiah. Um, We are about to uh, basically cross that uh, point that I've been looking forward to crossing since we started this podcast. So it's going to be really cool to finish it up. Um, And yes, this is just one more chapter getting so much ever closer to the end goal. Um, This chapter is really interesting because it focuses on um, really the city of Zion in particular and how um, the city is going to be uh, made anew. Um, This is a very, in their context, a very political chapter. Um, It's focused a lot on just how they felt about their own city being exiled away from it and it now being in disrepair and other peoples now living in the city. We learn that in the end of 
of Second Kings actually is they mm. actually like took different people groups from different countries entirely and put them in the land of Jerusalem. And uh, uh, there's a funny little story at the end of Second Kings about how they didn't know what God to worship. And so lions came out of nowhere and were like eating them all up. And they had to like basically search for this like Jewish priest to come back and um, live in the land with all of these people that didn't know what God it was that kind of ruled over the land. It was just a symbol for the Lion of Judah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, and that too, that too. Yeah, it's, it's a really fascinating story that can be found in Second Kings. Um, but basically, this is kind of like a, a comment after all of that has happened and uh, basically a promised prophecy of the fact that um, the city of Jerusalem is not done yet and that um, they will get their city back and they will get to rebuild um, and they will get to um, basically uh, enjoy the city as it was always intended to be enjoyed. But as always with prophecy, there's always like that kind of political dimension, that kind of political meaning. And then there's also the uh, more... um, uh, far fulfillment uh, belief of just how this kind of maps on to um, the eventual resurrection that Christians all believe in and how we all believe that one day we'll be uh, basically in a golden city um, without a sun because the Lord is going to be the light of the world and there won't be a sun anymore and uh, we'll all be living in that city. Um, and so there's definitely a lot of things that Revelation pulls from this uh, mm-hmm. chapter. Um, and so, yeah, it's going to be fun to talk about, but it's also a pretty short chapter, so hopefully this episode will be a little shorter overall. Um, we won't spend as much time diving into specific verses in this one. We'll kind of keep it brief. Um, but, yeah, I'm really excited to jump into this. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about, Ashley, before we dive in? Um, other than the fact that I just thought it was really interesting that what you were talking about was kind of related to um the hebrew reference to zion like when i looked it up in the hebrew it basically means parched so Mm. it's like a desert place and so god takes this desert place because you know david technically he won it from the jebusites and then called it the city of david so it became the city of god but it's like this idea that this city of zion zion means parched there's like this desert wasteland and then god comes in and he like waters it and makes it fertile and makes it a kind of place where you want to be it's kind of like the idea of what he does to our personal lives like he takes our like our wasted lives or our dry lives or deserted lives. And then he brings life and breath to it. And so he's sort of doing this like symbolically. Yeah. Um, no, there, no. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, that's kind of riffing a little bit off of, uh, Ezekiel 36, I think where you have a valley of dry bones mm-hmm. and, uh, how God brings life back to that. So, um, that's not Isaiah. Unfortunately, I would love to go through Ezekiel, but we've, we've, uh, already got to finish up Isaiah here, but yeah, yeah, that's definitely, definitely something to keep in mind is just, uh, that, uh, metaphor of bringing something dry and wasted back to life. Um, all right, cool. Well, let's go ahead and dive into this chapter. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not remain quiet. Till her vindication shines out like the dawn, her salvation like a blazing torch. The nations will see your vindication, and all kings your glory. You will be called by a new name, that the mouth of the Lord will bestow. You will be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hands, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. No longer will they call you deserted, or name you your land desolate. But you will be called Hephzibah, and your land Beulah. For the Lord will take delight in you, and your land will be married. 
As a young man marries a young woman, so will your builder marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. I have posted watchmen on your walls, Jerusalem. They will never be silent day or night. You who call on the Lord, give yourselves no rest, and give him no rest till he establishes Jerusalem and makes her the praise of the earth. The Lord has sworn by his right hand and by his mighty arm, never again will I give your grain as food for your enemies, and never again will foreigners drink the new wine for which you have toiled. But those who harvest it will eat it and praise the Lord, and those who gather the grapes will drink it in the courts of my sanctuary. Pass through, pass through the gates, prepare the way for the people, Build up, build up the highway, remove the stones, raise a banner for the nations. The Lord has made proclamation to the ends of the earth. Say to daughter Zion, see, your Savior comes. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. They will be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, and you will be called sought after, the city no longer deserted. All right, so um, this chapter opens up with uh, starting with the name Zion, which uh, for some of you, um, if you, you're unfamiliar with that word, that's basically just another uh, name for uh, Jerusalem um, and the city of Jerusalem. Um, actually, Ashley, you wouldn't happen to know what the name Zion actually means, do you? Um, Parch, that's what I was saying earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, the, he- the actual Hebrew name... I'm not sure if let me see if I can pronounce it. I don't know. Is it Scion? Yes. Like, yes, yeah, Scion. Yeah. So and, it's like S. Oh, so you were okay. So you were relating it actually to the name of, of it is actually dry and parched up. Interesting, uh-huh. huh? That's a that's a very. I, I would have to do some more research on like. Have you done any more research on just like why that is named that? No, like the closest I could come in relation to that is that I was looking at second i think it was second samuel i think it may have been chapter five where david goes and he takes the city away from the jebusites Mm -hmm. and it says something about how the jebusites don't think that david can take the city and they say something on the lines about how they're gonna have to go like the lame like the lame and the blind um are will be like they'll that like the city is so impenetrable that the lame and the blind will be able to stop david from coming in and he says something along the lines about how they have to go up like a like some water in order to get to it or something oh, that's okay. about as close as i can get to it i don't know i don't even know if that relates to it but that's just about as close as yeah I can. and it might have just something to do with like how much rain it often got and yeah. like it might got it a lot less rain i don't know i'd be mm-hmm. curious anybody out there in the podcast world uh feel free to do some research and leave a comment about like why uh zion the name meaning parched got referred to the city of jerusalem i'd be really interested in that um so yeah it opens up with that that, that word and says um from the perspective i think uh here we're kind of in the perspective of uh I think this is actually the prophet. I don't think we're actually in the perspective of God for these first couple of verses. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the prophet's basically saying, um, I will not keep silent, which uh, it's very rare that prophet, prophets ever <laughs> do keep silent. Um, and uh, he says, uh, I will not remain quiet. And uh, then begins to talk about um, vindication, um, which is kind of a fancy word that we don't use a lot of uh, in today's world. But vindication is basically like 
putting to rights of things, um, getting getting kind of the things sorted out, and um, all of the injustices of the world are vindicated is the way we'd we'd say that like um you're finally uh it's that situation basically where you know you you're in the right but like people uh around you view you as being in the wrong and then there's an event that happens that basically vindicates you it shows that you were actually the one that was in the right Mm -hmm. and you're like yes i was i was in the right on right (laughs) they just felt good when you heard you say that i was like yeah it feels good when you get to be Right about something. I don't even know if I should say that, but it's true. <laughs> but I guess it also made me think about how like God doing this, not so much because of their own righteousness, but because of God's own righteousness. How mm. and it's almost like not so much the actions that they've taken that were righteous, but the fact that they have a right standing with God because God chose them as his people. So it's like God letting the rest of the world know after they've been through everything, after they've had, you know, temples destroyed, after they've been sold into slavery, after their women and children have been killed or raped or everything, like presenting them as this like this is the position that they hold with me despite all that all those terrible things that happens. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it, it begins to talk about just how like um, they're also going to be like a crown and a diadem, um, which is really beautiful metaphors of just like crowns and diadems kind of uh, represented like honor and glory in that kind of culture. It was the place of status, right? Um, and it was kind of uh, used more so to like signify like a person that is actually uh, really close to their deity. Mm-hmm. Um, in the Old Testament time, kings and queens were often seen as like the mouthpieces of God um, and so there's often kind of like uh, like Pharaoh for instance in the Old Testament kind of sees himself as kind of a mouthpiece of God in a way um, this kind of uh, makes sense if you think of like uh, Lord of the Rings has like a character in the extended cut of this guy named the mouth of Sauron and all he does is basically kind of speak for Sauron and his words are Sauron's words kind of thing um, this, that's kind of nerdy if you haven't seen Lord of the Rings but um, uh, it's definitely the same kind of idea of just like uh, kings and queens kind of uh, in this space and time sort of represent the deities that they um, serve. And so the idea is that um, Israel is going back to that. They're going to be the crown and diadem of God, basically. And it's really, uh, really beautiful, powerful message that's being communicated there. There's also a couple of Hebrew names that uh, um, they're also going to be called that uh, you might be like, wow, that's a hard name to pronounce. Um, it was hard for me even pronouncing it. Uh, one, the first one is Hef Zebah, and then the second one is Be'ulah. Um, Hef Zebah is... Um, a word that means to take pleasure or to take delight in, to desire. Um, I could do a word search of that real quick um, and find out more. But uh, before I do that, I'll uh, tell you what uh, betula means, the second word. Betula also means um, uh, basically one that gets married, um, which is very fitting for the ending of this um Part. And so basically like the line after those two words for the Lord will take delight in you and your land will be married is basically repeating those two words up above Heth Ziba and Be'ula. Um, I am kind of curious uh, like what's like some of the places that that um, these words kind of come up in scripture. So I'll go ahead and pull that up just to see um, mm-hmm. if there's any. Um, example usages in the Old Testament of yeah. kind of the thing, or if this is kind of the only time. I see that, like that word Hephzibah, Second Kings twenty one one. Oh, okay, okay. What does it say in the NIV? Oops. 
language translations. Oh, this is about Manasseh. Manasseh was 12 years old. Oh, it's just his mother's name. That's mm. sweet. Um, yeah, it does not look like there's a lot of usages of it from what I'm seeing. Because, um, yeah, all I'm getting for the example usages are um, uh, usage in Kings, which is just another name. And then one, yeah, it's only mentioned twice in the entire Hebrew Bible. Uh, that's crazy. What about Betula? Betula, meaning married, see, feels like that's going to be used more. We'll see. Um, yep, it's used once in Genesis, it looks like. Oh, yeah, it's used a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. It is used several times in Deuteronomy. It's actually used, it's translated as husband in several passages as well. That's interesting. Uh, yeah. yeah. And I think it's, it uses for the word dominion in First Chronicles. Yeah, it looks to me to be kind of taking that like husbandly married role kind of uh, in in tandem. I think is uh, I'm 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 not seeing the word you being used as dominion. Which passage is that? Let me go back to that. So this is in yeah to own to rule over to marry to get married. Yeah. <laughs> that was in First Chronicles four uh, verse twenty two uh-huh. dominion. Yeah, that's interesting, huh? I I, I would want to do a word uh, study of this before I go even any further down this rabbit hole. But yeah, um, one of the examples uh, is that was actually used in Isaiah fifty four for your maker is your husband is um tra- it's tr- just translated as straight as husband, um so it can be used in a wide variety of different ways. There's definitely some more there that you could uh, research on that one. So I definitely encourage. Uh, spending some time looking up Beula at least. Um, but yeah, so it's that that concept of um, taking delight and then being married to, and then he kind of spends some time working through the concept of like um, Zion, the city, being like a, a young man that marries a young woman and um, having like a builder that's rebuilding the city. And that's what's going to like marry um, the city back to their God, right? And so it's, it's just really cool. It's really beautiful and poetic language that he's using to kind of describe this um, reunion of sorts for the people and the city kind of coming back together um, after so long in exile. It's really sweet and uh, powerful, at least to me. And I was wondering about the difference in the translation of that word builder, because I know some translations say builder, some say maker, but then some say, some say sons, which I thought was really interesting, but a little confusing because using the phrase of so will your sons marry you. Yeah. Yeah. It looks as if, uh, that it's just the word can mean very different things. The word actually is Bane, which, uh, generally is translated as son, um, but has a variety of different meanings. So it's just a, it's a word that gets used in several different cases. It could be metaphorical to mean builder, or it could be, um, son. So yeah, that's probably why the translations are kind of split on it. Cause it's just a word that has a variety of different meanings. Um, What's really cool as we get to the bottom is we focus a little bit on watchmen again, which um, watchmen actually come up a lot in Ezekiel. Um, That's one of the key themes in Ezekiel is watchmen on walls. Um, And it's this idea of uh, they've posted watchmen on the walls of Jerusalem. uh, And uh, it's kind of talking about how, like, they've been given no rest, basically. Um, uh, They've basically are watching day and night, like, for enemies to attack them. And, like, it's always, like... a fearful situation. Um, and at the same time, God's kind of being a little coy and saying like, 
Um, Israel has kind of given him no rest um, as well because they're so worried. And so they've been, you know, praying, uh, praying to him for deliverance um, in this situation. And so uh, he does promise that he's going to basically like establish Jerusalem and make the praise of the earth um, like filled again. And so it's, it's just a little uh, nod, I think, to um, s- some themes that will definitely come back up again, both in Jeremiah and in Ezekiel. So I figured I'd bring those out just uh, briefly before we... Uh, move on. Yeah, I think that's probably my favorite verse in this chapter, verses six and seven, um, specifically the end of verse six, where it talks about, you know, not giving yourself any rest, then not giving God any rest in the concept of prayers, like you praying and praying until you get an answer for something. And I know some of the stories that were connected to that and cross references was um, the Canaanite woman, the woman who goes to meet um, Jesus. And, you know, he says, well, I came to the house of Israel first. Is it right to give you know, the, the bread of the children to, you know, the bread of the dogs. And she's like, yeah, it is right. Because they eat the bread, they eat the crumbs that fall on the table. And God was like, okay, your faith has made you well. And he was impressed with her face. So he healed her daughter. And then same thing with the persistent widow where Jesus is telling the parable about the persistent widow who goes to the judge and is pleading for him to um, give her justice because of her adversary. And because she keeps coming back over and over again, bothering him, he finally gives her what she wants. And it's sort of like this idea that God's saying, I want you to do that to me. Like, I want you to keep asking and asking and pressing it upon me until you get the answer that you're looking for. And so I really liked that concept of prayer, of taking things to God in prayer. Cause I think sometimes we get tired of praying about things because like there are things that I've been praying about for years that God has told me is going to happen, but I still pray about it because I want to keep pressing him until he does it. And so it's like this idea that like, you don't give up on praying about that thing until you get the answer, whatever that answer may be. Mm, so yeah. yeah. I love that. Uh, another theme that's being brought out here is actually the story of Noah in the old Testament. Um, not me, the <laughs> um, one in the old Testament, um, the story of Noah, um, in the old Testament, uh, Noah actually means rest. And so it's bringing that idea of rest and Noah, um, kind of to the forefront before it then kind of jumps into, um, another key, uh, passage and promise of God to never again, um, bring about judgment in a certain way. And if you know the ending of the story of Noah, you know that at the end of the story of Noah, God promises to never again flood the earth. And so we have uh, kind of a continuation of that theme um, where he talks about rest here first and then moves straight into another promise of what he's never again going to do to the people of Israel. This time the promise is, is that he's never going to give them, uh, give their grain to their enemies. Basically that, um, during this period, a key way of sieging and warfare was that uh, most of the farms and areas around the city of Jerusalem would have been uh, untended and undefendable, and so everybody would have to pull into the city um, to survive, and they would have to leave all their crops and basically everything they'd spent the entire year cultivating out in the open. And so when the enemy arrived, they were in a really good situation where they could lay siege to a city that basically had no food reserves and at the same time eat food from the uh, farms around the area that had been basically grown. And so uh, a lot of enemies would actually um, attack during the harvest season so that it was the most strategically best for their own army. Mm. Um, and so it was really, really clever on their part, but also horrific if you were the person that like uh, uh, was being attacked. So it's this idea that um, he's promising here that never again will um, their grain go to their enemies. Um, they kind of... Go ahead. No, Sorry. no, you're good. You're good. Uh, I was going to say that kind of reminds me of, of Gideon 
uh, when he's like going to, he's taking the weed and he's threshing it in the wine press because yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's trying to hide it from uh, whoever coming against them during that time. I can't remember. I think it was the Midianites. Yeah, the Midianites. That's right. He was threshing the weed in the wine press to hide it from the Midianites so they wouldn't know. Yeah. 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 No. And th- that's basically kind of the way that they would try and figure out how to, you know continue to have food um when they're occupied by an enemy um so it's this promise yeah and it's again um you can relate this all the way back to the story of noah and how god promises uh, and this is generally kind of a theme of god is when god delivers judgment he usually returns after and says never again will i do it in this way if it was a really bad serious judgment um and it's really cool that he continues to kind of uh established like kind of rules of even for himself about what he'll do in the future after a certain judgment's been had. Um, it's sort of, I think in a way his mercy and his compassion kind of being shown forth. Um, and then at the very end we have, uh, what I, uh, see is kind of like, uh, a continuation of what John the Baptist says, um, at the start of his ministry, Mm -hmm. um, which is like pass through, pass through the gates, prepare the way for the people, build up the highway. Right. Um, it's not the exact same thing. John's, uh, John the Baptist is actually quoting from a different chapter in Isaiah. Um, but this is kind of a continuation of that same theme. It's the idea of like, um, there's going to be a highway that's going to be built back to the city of Jerusalem and people can walk on the highway at peace and not be afraid of getting robbed. Um, and the city is going to be brought back to its glory and the builders are going to come back and rebuild the walls and the temple and all the, all the glory that it lost in the exile period is going to be restored to it. Um, and it kind of culminates in this idea of the Lord being a redeemer, right? A redeeming mm-hmm. the city from its uh, abandoned state to a state of glory again and saying that uh, renaming it sought after and a city no longer deserted. And I just think that's a powerful way to kind of end this entire chapter is just really focusing on um, how God is uh, not done even with the city itself and what he's going to do with the city itself. It's really cool just to end in there. Did you have any final thoughts, Ashley, before we kind of wrap this up? Um, Yeah, I think it's really beautiful how that connection between John the Baptist um, introducing Jesus, who is the Christ, and saying, you know, make straight his path, you know, and it's sort of like this thing here is being given a word, not to the Christ, but to the people, and it's sort of like this idea that making making pathways for God is the same way as making pathways for yourself or for the people who follow God. So you're making pathways for God to open up, you know, whether it's literally in the city or whether it's literally in your life. And then those pathways that you open up for God also end up becoming pathways for you. So, yeah. And it's important to remember that, um, the book of Hebrews actually will, uh, begin to, um, uh, pick up on the theme of Jesus being a highwayman or a person that's like making a highway through the uh, wilderness essentially. And Mm -hmm. he's like a trailblazer of sorts Mm -hmm. that uh, kind of makes the way um, uh, firmly established. And that's actually one of the reasons why at our church we call ourselves wayfarers is that um, it's kind of starting up in this theme here. um, It kind of establishes a prophecy of someone Uh, coming along that's going to create a highway to the city of Jerusalem. And then John the Baptist comes along and announces that he's the one that's preparing that way. Like he's, he's kind of the first one on the highway, kind of like getting rid of all like the big stones and making sure that all the like biggest parts of it that are like the worst trouble are all kind of removed. And then Jesus comes along and actually like paves the highway and paves it with like the I would say like the most like uh, smooth stone possible and uh, encourages people to go along the road 
to bring the metaphor kind of home all the way. And uh, I will say that that road uh, actually leads to a cross. <laughs> so it's it's uh, very, very, in, in some ways, like a road that leads to death. But after death, there's also life at the very end of uh, all things. And so it's that kind of uh, kind of really cool, powerful way that all of those metaphors get brought together. And once we're resurrected, um, we get to enjoy the city of Zion um, in all its splendor. So yeah, that's a uh, just bringing all those themes together is kind of what Revelation does at the very end. So yeah. Um, anything else you wanted to say before we end this episode, Ashley? No, that's it. All right. Well, thank you so much, guys, for tuning in. And we'll be back in your feed again next week. Thank you all. Bye-bye.